From WHQR Public Media in Wilmington, North Carolina, this is Coastline. I'm Rachel Lewis Hilburn. State legislatures and public school systems around the country are battling over how to think about, talk about, teach, and nurture children who are transgender. But as we grapple with our evolving understanding of gender, what does non-traditional gender expression mean? If a boy prefers wearing dresses but he's comfortable in his male body, is he transgender? New research confirms that not only trans kids, but also gender-expansive kids are at increased risk of suicidal behavior and other risk factors for suicide. According to Advocates for Youth, a nonprofit that offers support programs, resources, and lobbies for supportive policies, the data shows gender-expansive students are more likely than their peers to face bullying or substance abuse risk factors for suicide. They're also more likely to think about and actually attempt suicide. My guest today says her gender-expansive child, who is not transgender, gets caught up in the political battle surrounding transgender kids. And understanding gender expansiveness is critical to these kids' mental health. Professor Julianne Scott Pollock is a gender studies scholar and narrative researcher in communication studies and performance studies at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. She has published on masculinity and femininity, interviewing people across the spectrum of gender identity and sexuality. And she says part of public education must include the idea of gender gender-expansive children. She joins me now. Julianne Scott Pollock, welcome to Coastline. Thanks. It's so nice to be here. It's good to have you back. So tell us first, before we get into terms and definitions, of course. tell us about your eight-year-old son, which is what kind of brought on the idea for this discussion. Sure. Well, I am a mother of five, and my second born is eight years old, and he is a boy. He identifies as a boy, always has used he and him, has never once questioned his identity of being a cisgender child, as in was born male and identifies as a boy. But around two and a half to three, he started not only preferring pink and purple and sparkly like he always had, but asked if he could have a Elsa dress from Frozen from the Easter Bunny. And we were surprised that that's what he wanted, but we said, well, of course, you can have a costume. All of our children love costumes. And he got it, and he wore it everywhere. Uh, We couldn't get it off him. It was amazing. We were going through Elsa dresses every three or four weeks because they went everywhere. And so we finally sat him down and said to him, you know, not every place is a princess dress place. Sometimes we have to just wear regular clothes. And he said, well, great. Then we need to go to Target because I need dresses that aren't dress-up dresses to wear to school. 
uh, he went to preschool at that time, and there was a little bit of a catch in my in my heart. I was nervous of, well, what does this mean? But he was very insistent and asked over and over again, and we were aware that that really was what he preferred. He he didn't want to wear the traditional t-shirts and shorts and jeans that our oldest had effortlessly worn without question. And after talking to him, we said, well, let's go shopping and see what you like. And he has a beautiful eye for fashion and picked out uh, comfortable, soft jersey dresses to wear with leggings underneath them. And I was so nervous, but he went to preschool and came home and it was fine. Uh, he has lots of friends. He's invited to all kinds of birthday parties. He's very athletic. He's great at soccer. And he's great at dance. And he has a wonderful life as a little boy who now has uh, long hair and earrings and wears dresses and leggings exclusively, but is uh, what is considered gender expansive. And rather than being uh, anyone who isn't comfortable um, in their assigned gender from birth. And so you said he was two and a half to three-ish when he first wanted the Elsa princess dress. And then how old was he? Was it four years old when he said, okay, well, obviously I need dresses for every day, including for preschool? Uh, I think he was three and a half. So this sounds um, like an incredibly self-aware kid at this point. Some people might, especially people who are resistant to the idea of biological boys expressing in a more feminine way, some people might say, well, clearly his parents must have somehow led him in that direction. Is that a possibility, especially a gender studies scholar? Well, and I'm a little embarrassed to say how much I embraced being a boy mom until he pushed back. Uh, his room is blue, uh, just like his brother's. Uh, I'm from Maine, and my husband is from Kansas, so we were very much into the flannel jeans and work boot aesthetic for a little boy. Uh, we really embraced that. Uh, we loved the sort of rough and tumble uh, type of clothes little boys wear, and we naturally, although we took them shopping for toys, never really questioned why our oldest tended to to go to the boy aisle for toys and clothes. We never really thought anything of that. Well, of course that's where uh, he would go. And so we assumed the same would happen with our second born, and uh, it just didn't. Um, and to the point where when you asked him to put on the clothes that his brother had worn or matching outfits and those type of uh, aesthetics, he would really push back. He would pout. He would be upset. He would say, I'm uncomfortable. I don't want to go to school in this. And um, when a child is seeming distressed because as he looked at it, his older brother got to pick out his clothes of what he was going to wear. And why couldn't he, who clearly had a strong feeling about not only the look of clothes, but the texture, the drape, all of that mattered deeply to him. Fashion was something he loved from the time he was a toddler. So as much as in so many ways, I kept looking in some ways, well, look, it's a boy's shirt, but it's pink or it's a boy shirt, but it's purple. He'd be like, yeah, but look at this one over here that has ruffles and a unicorn. <laughs> and I would be like, and I was like, 
that is very nice and I agree is more visually interesting than what I'm holding. <laughs> and so it got to the point where um, if you love the person that's there, you let them be who they are, even if that as a mother made me worried and uncomfortable. And in so many ways, that worry and discomfort was more about how adults interacted with me because my son is popular with lots of friends and no trouble. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about your adult worry and concern. When this first started to dawn on you before you really had a chance to process this and you realized he was going to push back and and this was either going to be an arm wrestling match between the two of you over how he dressed or he you were going to allow this. What was your worry and concern about? And in there, was there any seed of mm, homophobia or... Oh, I would say um, what I would say I have interviewed multiple people that talk to me about the hate they've experienced, the rejection they've experienced, all surrounding misogyny and homophobia. And in my mind, I was frightened of what that could mean for my son if he would become a beacon for that sort of behavior. And over time, I realized uh, that that worry I was feeling, knowing that homophobia is rampant and that misogyny is rampant, that I was wanting to do all I could to protect him, but I'm also a gender studies researcher. And I know from the interviews I've conducted, from the studies I've read, that the absolute worst thing that a parent can do is become a bully because they're worried about bullies. That just can't be the reaction because home needs to be the place where you're loved and accepted and who you are, and there needs to be a united front against the hate and the bullies in the world. And I know this, and I know this for mental health, the, the amount of healing people have to go through as adults when their family, in an effort to protect them, tried to stop them from being who they are. And the stories are heartbreaking, the amount of healing that needs to happen, the trauma. I am too aware of those very conclusive psychological and sociological studies uh, to risk putting my son through any kind of anguish of rejection from his family. So we're, we're going to go to break in just a minute. But w I know as people listen to this, some are wondering, when he's that young, couldn't you force him into the jeans and flannel shirts, explain to him the societal expectation because he's too young to be in tune with his sexual orientation at that point or anything else. It's just a fashion choice. Well, and I think that's why it would be silly to do that because it's just clothes. I have no idea what my son's sexuality is. My son is eight years old and as of now, um, I don't believe is planning on marrying anybody. You know, and so it's, so it's the idea, it's just clothes. And if it's just clothes, what are we so afraid of? You're listening to Coastline. We're exploring 
What it means for kids to be gender expansive with UNCW gender identity scholar Julianne Scott Pollock. We'll be back after this short break. I'm Rachel Lewis Hilburn for Coastline. You're listening to Coastline. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn. UNCW professor Julianne Scott Pollock studies the performance of daily life and how humans perform their identities. She specifically looked at gender, masculinity, femininity, and sexuality. And as so much of her research has emerged from her personal experience, today's exploration of gender expansiveness in kids is no exception. Her eight-year-old son wears what? the culture considers feminine clothing. He has long hair, and he is completely comfortable in his body as a boy, which is what many folks actually find confusing. So can you explain, for those who are new to this whole discussion, what the difference is between traditional gender, how we identify someone as male or female, and gender expansiveness and gender expression. Sure. When we talk about gender, we often, um, if we go back into when we were first problematizing the difference between biological sex and gender, and we've now realized it's much more complicated than that sort of binary, but as far as, well, you have your biological organs, then you have your preferred gender, that gender as a concept, as an identity, is an ongoing, unfinished expression that you keep doing and redoing every moment you have an encounter. And as you have these encounters, you take feedback from those around you to tell you, okay, this is how we understand your identity. This is how we see who you are. And over time, we take that feedback and we incorporate it we might either embrace it or resist it or perhaps not acknowledge it. And we continue and it evolves over time. And we're very comfortable with this idea of gender expression evolving over time uh, for girls, right? A little girl who's a tomboy is adorable. We have, a, we have an expression we use for it. It's an idea that it's a phase she's going through. And even if it's not a phase and it keeps going into adulthood, uh, there's no problem with this idea of a little girl who likes oversized t-shirts and basketball shorts. I think all of my nieces went through that period in their lives and nobody blinked an eye at it. And gender expansiveness is when you push the boundaries of what we might think of a traditional gender expression into another space. And that space for girls is wider because tomboy is as familiar 
as our little princess. We know both of them. We're comfortable with both of them. Now, as society is evolving in wonderful ways, as we're having conversations about gender and identity and expression, we have little boys who are also getting more comfortable with the idea of, I prefer a glittery, a glittery pink, long-haired uh, aesthetic. Like that little girl over there prefers shorter hair and an oversized t-shirt and shorts. We, when we first uh, started talking to our son, we're like, what do we call this? He's not a tomboy. He's a, he's a glitter guy. We decided we'll call it a glitter guy of just that there's this other expression that he has that what it means to be a boy is expanding and that you can be a glitter guy just like you can be a tomboy and you can be a glitter guy one day and the next day decide you want shorts and a T-shirt just like a little girl can decide the next day, you know what, I'm going to wear a dress and that's okay because gender expression is culturally created by us. There are societies where all of the men wear dresses. There are societies where all of the people there are going to lean towards a more uh, understated look as opposed to a more fancy look or have a more dressed up uh, idea of what one should be. That can happen just in regions of the United States of what it means. So that idea of expression is ongoing and culturally and location specific. And so if we're talking about – so going back to the very specific example then of your 8-year-old son because mm -hmm. I think he's a good case study for this sure. discussion. Of course. So he is very comfortable with his male parts. Mm -hmm. he's, he likes the pronouns he, him. Mm -hmm. He says he's a boy. But he prefers what we consider a more feminine kind of expression. Yes. Does this mean – that he is more likely to be – he's not transgender, so we'll need to unpack that in a minute. But <laughs> does this mean that he is more likely to grow up and be a gay man? We don't have any literature that really says anything about that. And it's really difficult to say because of how much more open society has become so rapidly. Now, anecdotally, I can tell you that some of the gay men who I've interviewed and some who I'm friends with, one that stays in my mind, he said, looking at your son, because he knows he knew me before we were interviewing, goes, I wonder the man I could have been if my comforter dresses that I made in my bedroom out of my blankets were allowed out of the room. Like who could have I been if as a little boy I was allowed to be who I am? And we also know there's, um, I don't know how many times I've seen the Vogue article of the German man who wears skirts and stilettos with a tie and shirt. And he is a cisgender heterosexual man who just has great legs and likes heels and skirts. So we have all this anecdotal evidence on both sides uh, to show us that a preferred aesthetic doesn't uh, in any way indicate uh, one's sexuality. Uh, sexuality is very personal and someone can have a very masculine aesthetic and still be a gay man. 
And you, so you've used the term cisgender a couple of times. And again, just uh, to be clear about what that is, that's when the biological, the gender that someone is born as, that the doctors decide this baby is based on looking at their parts, Mm -hmm. matches the way that person. And I'm not going to be able to finish that. It it, it matches what? The person's uh, understanding of their own gender identity and expression. Okay. Yeah. And so what is transgender? To be transgender moves be, uh, moves beyond simple wanting a expansive expression of oneself as opposed to feeling that as they're born, they have been born in the wrong body. So while they have been born and assigned female at birth, they are male and being misgendered as female is distressing to the point where it needs to be corrected. And so that is what it means to be transgender. So if someone is transgender, it means that they were born biologically male or female, but they actually are are the opposite sex and need to be able to express and live as the opposite genders they are born with. Of course, we also have non-binary people who don't identify one way or the other. So I don't want to make this seem like it's another binary because there, of course, there's always a spectrum um, as as far as that goes. But uh, to be transgender means I feel I am in the wrong body. I was born a boy, but but I am a girl or I was born a girl and assigned that at birth, but that was wrong. I am actually a boy. Okay, so transgender is uh, feeling like you're in the wrong body and you should be the other gender from the way you were born. Non-binary, explain that term and how that's different from transgender. Sure. A non-binary person does not identify as just male or just female. They can identify as both or they can identify as neither. And so it is the idea, often this will be a person who prefers the pronoun they, um, because neither of these binary sexual identities encompass who they are. And how is that different, or, or is that term enter- interchangeable with gender fluid? I would say non-binary and gender fluid are very much similar similar terms, uh, but people tend to sometimes prefer one or the other. Some people say, I am non-binary, as in I am neither, where gender fluid might mean I, I feel I float, I move along the spectrum. And then, okay, one more, folks. Gender queer. Help us with that. Gender queer. Well, gender queer is more of that all-encompassing term uh, that kind of brings everyone together that says what I am not is cisgender, heteronormative, gender conforming. Right. (laughs) So I'm not all of those things, but any one or all of those things could be could be different. So that is sort of the term that sort of brings um, everyone along the spectrum together. You're listening to Coastline. Julianne Scott Pollock is a professor of communication and performance studies at UNCW, and we are exploring the idea of gender expansiveness in kids and what that actually means as our understanding of gender itself evolves. Now, you clearly, Julianne Scott Pollock, are not threatened by the gender expansiveness of your eight-year-old son. And you've said that he's generally supported at school. 
It's it's he's not bullied. It's a friendly place. But there are moments when he does get upset when he is misgendered. People see him and often assume he's he's a girl because he wears dresses, has long hair, and sometimes wears makeup. So when is he okay with it and what upsets him? That's a good question because uh, overall, being misgendered as a girl is not a problem for him at all. He says, I'm very beautiful. People think I'm a girl because I'm so beautiful. And that's fine because there's nothing wrong with girls. I'm just not one. And there's most situations he has no desire to correct people. If he is misgendered at Costco and someone tells tells me I have a beautiful daughter, he just smiles and would rather me not say anything. We're never going to see this cashier again. Who cares? Um, he felt the same way. He had a coach in soccer that was uh, misgendering him. And I said, do you want me to talk to the coach and let him know that uh, you're a boy? Because I noticed you aren't correcting me. And he said, Mom, I really feel like he's a little overwhelmed with this whole coaching. And um, if he thinks that I'm a girl, then when he does girls against boys, it's even teams. So let's just not make it harder for him. I like the girls anyway. They're really good. I don't mind being on their team when we do practices for scrimmage. And I was like, really? And he said, yep, it's fine. And so we just didn't ever tell him that we actually had a son, not a daughter, on his team to just not bother. It doesn't matter. Um, Now, he does get offended when someone knows that he is a boy and is trying to call him a girl as an insult. He always says, it's stupid, mom, because it's not like being a girl's bad. But he but they're doing that to tease me. They're doing that in a way that's making me uncomfortable. And so I don't like it. And so really, he has no problem with an honest mistake of misgendering. And unless you're someone who he feels invested in knowing long term, he won't bother correcting you. Um, But he will push back if he sees it as a judgment against him and an idea of using girl as an insult. And it's interesting you talked about how as a culture, we're more comfortable with tomboys, girls who have male tendencies than we are with boys who like to express in more traditionally feminine ways. Why? What is the basis for that? Oh, well, the basis for it uh, is misogyny. It's the hatred of women and the feminine and the exalting of a patriarchal masculine culture and society. Uh, So it's fine for a little girl to try to take the power uh, that comes with masculinity and being stronger and more comfortable in these oversized clothes and pretending to be a male superhero, why wouldn't that little girl want that strength? Now, if she keeps wanting it as she gets older, she'll get pushed back. And we know that just from what happens when women uh, are seen as too ambitious in an office or have too masculine of tendencies in the office that they get labeled as difficult to work with. So we know that it's cute when they're little and have absolutely no power. As women get to be more adults, there is more pushback. Um, But when it comes to a little boy wanting to wear delicate, beautiful clothes, it's uncomfortable. It's like, well, why when you're born this big, strong boy. And that's something we've actually heard from people. They're like, but he's so athletic. He's so smart. He's so funny. He's so articulate. 
why would he want to do this to himself? Why would you let him do this to himself? And really what they're saying is your kid has all the potential of masculine power in a patriarchal society. Why would you let him embrace the feminine and risk losing that? losing that power, that central position. And in ways where we have uh, friends whose, whose boys who are, who are gender expansive are a bit more delicate, that they don't get as much of the sort of mystified looks that uh, my husband and I get when we have this big, strong boy who uh, loves to be beautiful. And, you know, as, as we evolve... Some of us like to think that the uh, almost unbelievable levels of misogyny that put women in positions that made it seem as if they weren't fully human, that those are evaporating. But what you're saying is, even in the 21st century, we are still looking at really deeply ingrained misogyny. It's a very threatening idea to think a big, strong, potentially masculine boy would prefer the feminine Yes, it's very much, uh, we're very much aware that that is how society continues. We know from interviews with women in organizational communication how there is this level of not seeming so feminine that they're vulnerable, but not so powerful that men feel threatened and don't want to associate with them or resent their power and success. There was this whole movement of this idea of, well, women aren't getting paid enough because they're not negotiating like men and they need to negotiate like men. And then after a few years, they realized that when women did that to get higher salaries going in, they stalled as far as promotions and raises went because people were rubbed the wrong way that they were acting so powerful and like they were so important that they should be paid like a man. So we know that all of this still exists. We know it's there. Um, it's just a matter of we are more careful with it now. We know not to say things. We know not to do things. Sexual harassment is called out. But there is a more ingrained, subtle belief that persists that continues um, a misogynistic look at our society that still uh, is very uncomfortable when a man would embrace the feminine and really gets uncomfortable if women are too masculine as well. So it's not as though we have um, evaporated sexism. It's, um, it's moved in ways that are more subtle and less overt than it may have been in the past. So you said your son gets offended when there seems to be a malicious intent behind misgendering him. But let's, let's assume for the moment that everybody is well-meaning and that mm -hmm. there is not malicious intent around that. But he is consistently misgendered because of how he dresses and his long hair. What, how, how would he and you and other people who have children who are gender expansive, how would you like to see other adults address children? Is, this, is there anything wrong with misgendering a child? Well, I think overall, I mean, as a society, we're working to talk about our pronouns. We're working to talk about how we identify. Uh, LinkedIn now asks you uh, to put your pronouns on your profile. They want them there. 
So there is this idea that as society, we are evolving in this idea of we should ask people um, how they want to be addressed and whatever they say should be fine. And I think that's the idea of if you're unsure, you should accept whatever that person lets you know they prefer. You're listening to Coastline. I'm talking with UNCW gender identity scholar Julianne Scott Pollock. When we come back from this short break, we'll continue our exploration. I'm Rachel Lewis Hilburn for Coastline. You're listening to Coastline. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn. Julianne Scott Pollock is a professor of communication and performance studies at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. We're exploring today the differences between gender-expansive children and children who are truly transgender and taking a look at why understanding those differences is so important. And Julianne Scott Pollock, let's just go back to that idea again, because your son, whom we've been talking about as a as a great example of some of those differences, not only gets misgendered because he's a boy and he's very clear he's a boy and he likes being a boy, but he wears dresses, has long hair, and wears makeup. So many adults assume he's a girl. But there are also people who support very much the idea of transgender rights and transgender accommodation and LGBTQ plus advocates who insist that your son is transgender. Is he is he transgender? Well, the only person who can really answer that over time is my son. Um, but as of now, and this includes conversations we've had extensively with pediatricians as well as gender psychologists that we know have said that we have to be aware that he uh, that he is the one who is going to articulate whether or not he is trans, and he does not articulate that. He has never once said, I don't want to be in my body. He loves his body. He loves being a brother. He loves being a boy. Uh, if we go and we volunteer at his school and you see the kids playing, he's playing tag with a group of boys most of the time. That's who he wants to be with. He has an aesthetic that makes him comfortable in his own skin that is consistent and has been since he was two and a half, but that aesthetic is not his gender identity. If he was transgender, and we would support him if he was, he would say, I, I don't feel comfortable in this body. This isn't the body I'm supposed to have. I am supposed to be a girl. And we have friends who have transgender children who their child was distraught, uncomfortable, not comfortable with the name they had been given at birth 
because it was too masculine or too feminine when they knew in their heart, in their mind, in their body that that was wrong. But there are adults around you who try to insist that your son is transgender. And why do you think they're doing that? Well, I think they're doing it for, well, for two different reasons. One is that they worry looking at our son that he is not admitting he's transgender to us because we must not be supportive. And so they think that must be what it is. And uh, we have to sometimes tell them over and over again for these very well-meaning people, these advocates that really want to do good things and be supportive of, tra of, tra of the trans community to say, I understand and we would be with you. If our son was our daughter, <laughs> then he would become our daughter and we would do whatever she needed to do to to be able to be the identity that she was born to be. But he's not. He is our son. And that's where this idea of gender expansiveness can, for children, can really become uncomfortable because at eight years old, my son has not expressed sexuality. That's not something eight-year-olds often do. Um, at this point, if you asked him if he was going to get married, he'd say probably to a girl because I want to have babies. And he would just sort of see it that way. And then that's the end of the conversation. He's not really attracted to anybody because he's eight. And so there is this idea. So as of now, he has an aesthetic. He is expanding what it means to be a boy uh, by having being a boy that is beautiful with long hair, earrings, and dresses. But he is not at this point uh, articulating any kind of sexuality. And he is not articulating that he is uncomfortable in his skin. And so this idea of he can be comfortable in dresses. He can be comfortable with long hair and earrings. He can be comfortable wanting to get his nails done and have traditionally feminine toys without that meaning that he's trans because he wants to expand what it means to be a boy comfortable in his body that has an aesthetic that moves beyond what we think of as a traditional boy and masculine dress and presentation. We want so much to be able to label people. And, and wherever you are on the political spectrum and whether you think that uh, transgender is not a thing and it's totally invented or, or whether you are very far left and, and such an advocate for LGBTQ+, we always want to label. We want to say, you know, um, this person is trans, this one's gender queer, this one is gender fluid. We just want to be able to call it something and say that's what it is. But you say identity doesn't really work that way and gender identity doesn't it, work that way. It doesn't. We, we talk about a gender spectrum that like there's all of these that from that there's very people who are who are queer um, on all diff on different kinds of way and in different kinds of identities and we try to plot them on the graph and to be like okay but really when we say spectrum there aren't points that you get stuck on. It's not that you can make someone can grow up and be and consider themselves straight throughout adolescence and young adulthood and then realizes later on that they are actually pansexual or they are gay or they are trans. That can happen. 
And it also can happen that someone who considers themselves to be queer can end up in a heteronormative relationship. Someone can have a very traditional uh, gender uh, normative aesthetic and then change over time. I have a friend who when I met her, she was all dresses and blouses. And she says as she's gotten older, she's been more comfortable with the fact that she considers herself pansexual and she now wears button-ups and bow ties. And, and But she is still with her husband. <laughs> and, and so nothing has changed. It's just that she's more comfortable now with an aesthetic that she was less comfortable with as a child. And I think we can say the same thing. Can I say that my eight-year-old won't turn into a teenager and suddenly be all button-ups and jeans? I don't know. Um, that could definitely happen. <laughs> just like some tomboys grow up to be really feminine. You just, you don't know. Uh, it's, 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 um, and I don't think that even if you asked my son, he knows. He has, but I think that idea of that people aren't fixed. When we, when we say spectrum, there isn't dots you get stuck on along the spectrum. You move back and forth throughout your life. Um, some people move back and forth throughout a weekend. You just that idea of the expression that we give to the world and how we identify, who we're attracted to, uh, can change and is situational. You have also been the focus of some, I, I, would we call it, online bullying. Um, you, there was a picture of your five-year-old's birthday party, and your five-year-old is a boy. Mm -hmm. This was a, a mermaid birthday party. Yes. Is that, that's what he wanted. And somebody screenshotted a post of this and used it as an example of a kid with a deranged parent. Yes, and then they posted it on a thread for Port City Daily, um, and like and was trying to. Uh, it was this was over the time of the people who were very um, angry as the school board was voting on uh, on transgender students in sports. So, can you address th that whole idea just a little bit about the people who are angry about this and the ones who say? transgender is not a thing. That is coming from a confused kid with parents who aren't laying down the law. You're born a boy, you're a boy. You're born a girl, you're a girl. What, I mean, we've talked about the fact that misogyny may be underneath all of that and that's what's so threatening about it. But where is this idea, why is this such a war? What, is there, is there anything else in there that is just, so threatening that people might be able to look at this and say, you know, exhale a little bit and say, maybe well, it's not so terrible that it's a spectrum. Yeah, well, what really um, confused me um, at first and also was very eye-opening for me, and it made me, that experience made me understand at a deeper level that a lot of people who are transphobic and angry really do believe that transgender children are just playing dress up or preferring masculine or feminine toys when it's just not the case. And then I think that's something, it's why it's so important that they will often use situations like my son to try to say, see, he's, he's still a boy. He's just wearing dresses. Trans isn't real. And it's the idea of, no, it's not dress up. 
It's not a preference for toys. It's not just wanting a mermaid birthday party. Being trans. Being trans is not that. Being trans is being in the wrong body. And it is a long, difficult process for those children and their families to get the support they need for their child to live the identity that they are and that that they were born and need to be able to live who they are. And so that's the difference. Like my and the difference is is my son would never would never at this point in his life ever consider himself uh, as someone on an all-girls team. The soccer league we have has an all-girls team. He would be mystified if he was to be on the all-girls team because he's a boy, so he should be on the co-ed team. And so there is this idea of like, there are children who are simply gender expansive, and I guess I shouldn't say simply because it's all very complex in many ways of how we express who we are. Human beings are complex. Uh, but it's not the same thing as a child who was born into a body that they're not comfortable in and needs to transition to the, the gender identity they are. And you've said there's a huge body of research that continues to, to show if you don't let a child become who he or she is and that child is forced to repress part of him or herself, there are, it's going to be tough for that kid down the road from you know thwarted potential all the way to serious mental illness. Yeah, I mean, it's trauma. It's trauma to not be able to be who you are. And I think of as a cisgender person, as someone who was born a girl and I am now a woman and there's never been a question, I try to think of what would it be like if people kept telling me, no, you're a boy, and how traumatic it would have been for me as a child who is a girl to be constantly said, no, you're going to play with these kinds of toys. You're going to wear these kinds of clothes. You're going to go and do these kinds of things. And who you are, you are going to hide because it's not allowed because of the body you're in. And what that would have meant for my mental health, what how traumatic puberty would have been if as a girl I was growing a beard and, and like all of those kinds of things. And to think, so I think we can access it because imagine as a cisgender person, somebody telling you you have to live as the opposite sex and how uncomfortable that would be. And so think of that and saying, well, we need to let people express and be who they are because we know the level of mental illness, trauma, and long-term estrangement these children end up having from their families and from their support networks when they are not accepted has dire consequences. And it's not worth it uh, to be able to try to force them into these culturally constructed roles. Why do you think that there are more kids these days experimenting with gender expression and expansiveness and, and declaring themselves trans or gay. Why are we seeing more of that now? Because people are not having to hide like they used to have to. The amount of people that we know would completely hide who they were because there were dire social consequences. And we know that these people ended up developing mental illnesses, ended up in relationships that were toxic, ended up having such difficult lives uh, due to having to hide who they were. And now kids have the language. They have the ability. It's everywhere. They understand it. And so instead of saying, I'm uncomfortable, I'm anxious, I'm depressed, I want to die, they now can say, I'm trans. 
And so if we are performing our identities, and gender is also a form of that performance, why can't I just change the performance that I'm giving? Well, and the thing is, is that we can. We are always changing our performance. We're able to do that. But it's exhausting to play a role that is not who we are. So you think about it like I can I am I'm a theater person. I've played lots of characters on stage, but it would be exhausting to have to take any of those characters home with me. I mean, and have to be them all the time. That's why you play them on stage. Right. And so there is this idea of well, of course someone can pretend for a while. Anyone can pretend anything for a little bit. But there is this idea that while our identities do evolve and they do change, we have we as people are that identity as it moves. So just because identity isn't fixed into one static thing that we will be our entire lives doesn't mean we can just choose and and back off, say, oh, I'm going to just be this now. Because if it's not who we are, eventually uh, that facade will break away. And as we continue to perform who we are, uh, we will lean towards that identity um, that we're drawn to, that we identify with. And that is this edition of Coastline. UNCW professor Julianne Scott Pollock, thank you so much for being with us today. Coastline's technical director is Ken Campbell. Jonathan Furnell engineered this episode. Coastline is a production of WHQR Public Media. You can find this episode at whqr.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn for Coastline.